man, thank you, praise team, and Ed, and Adrian, everything that they said. Y'all don't know this yet, but it just perfectly siphons into this teaching that I want to do today as we finish up this series called Unburdened. But before we do what we're going to do today, I want to let you know what we're going to be doing for the rest of the month of January. We've got four weeks in the month of January after this one. So one of the things you've probably noticed if you've been here for any amount of time is we offer periodically a class called Starting Point. It's our Starting Point class, and that class is designed for particularly for our guests. Those that you invite or those that wander in here from, you know, one way or another. They find their way here in our midst. And so we offer this class. It's designed for people who are checking us out so that we can help them discern uh, whether God wants them to be a part of their church, this church family. We believe everyone in the world is, is like, needs a church home. We don't think everyone in the world is going to have us as a church home. So we want to, as people are searching and figuring that out and discerning that, uh, we take a close look in this class. It's a half day on Sundays, typically. We look at our mission. We look at our vision. We share our approach to Scripture. We explain where we've come from and where we're going based on Scripture, based on our Christ-centered focus. We also get real practical and share how we're organized as a family. And it's very intentional in, in trying to be faithful to our mission and our vision. And it's also to help those guests kind of have a you know a view of how where is their starting point if they are supposed to be adopted into this family adoption's hard it's difficult you know and so that's true in in a church family too so where's my starting point where's my lever and my place to stand to to get integrated into this family just as quickly and intimately as possible and and we share some of the values the core values that we have as a church and some corresponding expectations that we have of each other as family. And so we do that each time. And whenever we have one coming up, we make a point. Dole and I make a point to say, if you've been here for decades, we want to invite you to come to that small gathering as well. It's for our guests in particular, but we really want everyone to experience it just either as a refresher of of our mission and our vision because vision leaks, you know, when we don't think about it a lot, it just kind of, you forget that we even have a mission or a vision. You forget that. We forget that. So we invite longtime members to come. And for some who have, I mean, we're a different congregation than we were 50 years ago. And we have people who've been here over 50 years. Just come. We want to invite you to come and hear. How are we presenting ourselves to the world? What has been some of the more recent work that God's given to us to do so that we can um, explain who it is we say we are and who it is we're trying to be. So we always say that. Um, And also at this time of year, as the vision team was talking about what we're going to kick off this year with, a teaching series in January as everybody gets back to school and gets back into a rhythm from the holidays, we usually have one to three or four weeks where we kind of revisit that vision, our church's vision. Because it does leak, and we want to do that. So for both of those, what we're going to do for the first four, or the next four weeks of January, today's the first one, we're going to preach through the four sessions of Starting Point. So we figured for you longtime members, you won't sign up and come to Starting Point. We're just going to bring it to you, okay? We're just bringing it to you. And those of you who are guests, if you just come for the next four weeks, we're that counts. We encourage all our guests to come to the starting point, and, and I still will because it's just a smaller, more intimate setting. It's interactive. Um, it's just a better, 
environment to kind of get a feel for who we are, and you can ask questions. But you can come the next four weeks, and I'm going to do a sermon, a teaching form of that starting point class. So for those of you who are guests, we'll always encourage you to come to that other one, but this counts. And we hope this series doesn't just accomplish helping people who are trying to decide whether they want to join us or not. It also reconnects all of us to our mission and vision because that is our calling. No matter what's going on in the world, pandemic or otherwise, we have a calling, we have a mission, we have a vision, and it works, and we're to work it. So that's coming up for the next four weeks. I'm looking forward to doing that together. Okay, so we spent the last uh, few weeks of 2021 in a series that I hope has been refreshing for you. I know it has for me. I, I don't even want to leave this series. We need it. I feel just the, the need for it so desperately. We've called it Unburdened, where we've seriously taken a look at what Adrian read to us a minute ago uh, the, that we call the invitation of Jesus. You know, we've got his great commission to go and make disciples, the great commandment to love God and love others. But before both of those really apply to somebody, you have to receive his invitation. That's where you say, yeah, I will follow you. I'm signing on. I'm selling out to what you want me to be and what you want for the earth. And then that happens. And that great invitation is come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so I just read it and I, I feel the word that I've been preaching and that is some relief relief if this is true if the promises contained in this great invitation are true ease for our burdens lightning of our heavy loads, rest for our souls. Boy, Jesus knows what we need. What we need. So we have been examining not just this verse, but all the categories of the gospel that I could come up with that actually make good on those promises. What is contained in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that really does accomplish that rest, that relief? that release for our souls. And so we've talked about the relief found in calling. We've talked about the relief found in surrender or trust for God. We've talked about, remember, Dimitri preached on the relief found in eternity, what that blesses us with in the present, that future. We've talked about the relief found in grace, in mercy. And last week we talked about the relief found in his presence, one of his most unbelievable gifts. I guess they all are. This week, I want to lift up and celebrate the relief we find in redemption. In redemption. So, two questions that I want to attempt to answer today. That is, what is redemption? Because that word is maybe the churchiest of all churchy words. Redemption, right? It's become like almost so churchy that we don't know what it means. We just sang, you just sang a bunch of songs about being the redeemed. You know, you read some texts on that. And what does that mean that you're redeemed? What is redemption? And the second question is how exactly does it provide relief? So my anchor text for this morning is in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's writing... And here's what he says. So tune into this. It's, I'm going to read three verses, or four verses, seven through ten. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. Did you get all that? It's a lot. It's a lot. Before long, I start reading that, and I'm just in Bible listen mode of, okay, get me through this verse. There's so much here. I mean, it's a beautiful verse, but there is so much here. Paul has this habit in several of his letters. I think he just gets so excited that he just can't stop writing. And so he has these run-on sentences that contain these massive amounts of some of the most glorious concepts, and they're all packed into the, that sent, those sentences. This is one of those. So oftentimes, it's fun, difficult, but fun to swim around in one of those verses and pause on different spots in that, in, in that verse and, and look at those themes and excavate its treasures and see how these great themes do relate to each other because you know he's just popping. Oh, that, that affects this and this and this. I mean, in this one verse, it speaks of redemption, forgiveness of sins, God's grace. Not just God's grace, but the riches of God's grace That could be a whole series right there, just exploring what the Bible says the riches of God's grace are. God's pleasure. Isn't that interesting? Like, like what what gives God pleasure? That would be another great Bible study. God's purpose in Christ. It mentions the end times. Did you see it here? Times have reached their fulfillment. Okay? It it uses this phrase, heaven and earth. What does Paul mean by the phrase heaven and earth? It talks about Christ as the head, living in Christ. It talks that, that, that we, what we have through Christ's blood. <sighs> There's a lot of awesome stuff in there, but when you read it all in one sitting, it can be as uh, not unburdening, right? So I just wanted to mention that because I don't want to overwhelm you today. Today, I want you to be overwhelmed, but just by a single concept. And that's the lens through which I want to look at this verse. And that one powerful phrase that says, we have redemption. It's the anchor verse of this whole run-on sentence. This is where he starts. This is the lens through which he's attaching all these other themes. So what is it? What is redemption? If you grab a Bible dictionary, which is not cheating. I hope all of you who study the Bible, you you go get your Bible dictionary. You can really get a lot of head start when you just have some resources that help you with scripture. Those churchy things, those Bible-y words, you know. So if you took a uh, Bible dictionary and looked up the word redemption, you would find phrases, depending on which one you've got, you would find phrases that say something like freed by ransom or release by payment. Those two phrases are in a couple of Bible dictionaries. And, and there's something like that. And that's talking about the Greek word for redemption. It means freed by ransom or release from something by payment. So that's the Greek use. It's not always used in a biblical way in the Greek. I mean, this could be in a, in a judicial way, right? I, someone paid the price for someone's trespass legally. And so they are free. They got bailed out. So the question for us is, how does the Bible use it? Freed from what when we read the word redemption in Scripture? We have it. 
We have it, and that's really good news. And I, I want to pause here real quick. It says we. Who is the we? The, the, the first six verses of Ephesians make it clear. He is talking about believers. He's talking about people who have decided to follow Jesus. And we do believe. So redemption, what's its relationship with the world? Well, it's offered. Redemption is offered. What we're going to talk about, whatever it is, it's offered to the world. But it is not like enjoyed until you sign on and believe it. You believe in Jesus. You follow Jesus. That's when redemption and all of its power moves from being just a concept to an actual reality. Okay, so he's talking about believe. He's talking about those of you who believe in Jesus. It is ours. So what are we released from? What are we freed from? Now, what, from what I can tell, there's at least three answers to that question biblically. And they correspond to three applications that I find in Scripture of the word redeem. Okay, so I'm going to simplify this for you and give you those three applications or those three categories. They have to do with your present redemption. Okay, what you have right now. You've been redeemed from something that's right now. And so I'm just calling that present redemption. Future redemption. Okay, you're going to be freed from something later. And it's coming. And it's guaranteed. So the, the Bible sometimes is talking about that when you hear the word redeemed. And then there's a third one that I'm just calling because I can't think of what else to call it, ongoing redemption, okay? There's, there's an ongoing redemption. So what, what do we mean by these? So real quickly, the, the first one, present redemption, we actually, this is talking about the forgiveness of your sins. If you're a believer, that's done. You're enjoying that now, okay? That is something you have in the present. That's forgiveness of your sins. And, and that in our anchor verse, Ephesians 1, it actually says it. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So release from what? Release from the weight of our sin. Release from the weight of our messing up, of our trespasses. And we've actually already talked about that in this series, right? When we said the release that comes from mercy, we dabbled in it in grace as well. So we've addressed this form of redemption just under the umbrella of another word. The second one, this future redemption, this is talking about your place in heaven. Okay, if you're a believer, that's secure, that's coming. You're gonna have another experience of freedom, of release, okay, when you get to heaven. And we, we didn't read it, but if you keep going in Ephesians, Paul talks about it. So follow me here. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possessions to the praise of his glory. So he's talking about a future redemption as well. You have the forgiveness of sins presently. You have this deposit that guarantees another redemption, and that's your place in heaven, your salvation. And so what does that release you from? That's a release from this world, from these bodies, from, from everything that hasn't been healed. It will ultimately be healed right? It's a release from tears. It's a release from death. It's a release from arthritis in my hip. It's a release from, that's another release that's coming and that is ours. So oftentimes you'll read it like in that part of that verse. 
you'll read about redemption and it's talking about that ultimate redemption. So you can't be single-minded when you read the word redemption. Sometimes he's just using it in those ways. He's applying it to those things. So we've already talked about that aspect of redemption as well in this series. We talked about it, Dimitri talked about it when he talked about the relief we find in heaven, all right? So the part that's left is the part I want to elevate to you today and kick off this new year with. It's different than the other two. This ongoing release is different because the first two, those are concepts, okay? I mean, they are true, they're real, they're practical, but they are concepts that you enjoy when you believe them. The forgiveness, you can be objectively forgiven of your sins. You can have been washed by the blood of Christ and you are forgiven. And if you don't believe it, you're not experiencing the redemption, the release. You're not experiencing it. Even though it's yours, same thing with heaven. Your place can be there. Your mansion or whatever it's going to be has your name on it. It's there, okay? You're storing up treasures for that place that are going to come back and just accentuate your experience there. That's all happening. All the things about Scripture is there. But if you don't believe it, if you wonder on your deathbed, man, have I done enough? Have I? Well, then you're not enjoying it. It can be objectively true, but you're not enjoying it. So that's why Jesus says, belief is your work. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So those two are different than ongoing release. So ongoing release, all of that's intro to say this. I'm so excited to unpack with you today. Ongoing release, this is something that is not just a concept. It's something that you can actually experience first and then believe it. That's nice to have things like that, isn't it? Like to, to, to have things that you can experience first and then you get to believe it. And so what is this one? What, is, what are we talking about then in this? It's the idea. It is a concept, but it's, it's different than just being a concept that you believe in. It's the idea that even the most horrible things that happen can be weaved into the story of God and make the story better than if that horrible thing had not happened. This is ongoing redemption. This is, this is a beautiful part of redemption that has its own unique freedom and release for you. It is this idea that your sin, that you would never want to commit, but he doesn't just forgive it. When he redeems it, he doesn't just forgive it and take the weight of that you sinned off, but he can take that mistake you've made and in the ongoing process of transformation and his kingdom coming, he can, before we ever get to heaven, he can weave it into the story and make it something that gives him more glory than had you not sinned. I just can't be with how good he is. He does this. He, and it doesn't just have to be your sin. And oftentimes it's not. It's something horrific that happened to you. It's someone else's sin. And somehow God cannot just come in and heal you, but he can take that thing that's happened to you that you wouldn't... You would not wish on your worst enemy, but he takes it. He ransoms it. He purchases it. He pays for it. It's his now. And he takes it and he weaves it 
into your life and into the kingdom in your life and then into the larger story of of the kingdom coming and that thing that happened to you that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy is weaved in and it gives him more glory and you more joy than had it not happened to you. I have seen this happen over and over and over again to people. I proof that this kind of redemption happens is when someone who has just imagined the most horrific thing you can imagine happening to someone and then them talking to me about their their office and I'm saying I'm so sorry and they say these words and I just can't be with this I wouldn't change it I would not change a thing (laughs) what you probably have something like this. You, you can go back and you can think about it and you can think of something horrific that's happened and you look back and you say, man, something has happened in your life to where you wouldn't change it. That's a miracle. That, church, is redemption. That's redemption. He doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just secure us in an ongoing way. He takes the worst things of this earth and he will redeem it. So there's a story, and I, I tested this on a couple of people who've been here as long as I've been here, and said, do you remember me sharing this? Because I am sure I shared this story with you, but they couldn't remember. So I'm, I'm a, I know there's some new people, but this is, this is the story that God used for me. I heard it from one of my preachers. His name was Matt Soper, and uh, when I was at West Houston, and he told this story, and I have, I have used it and used it as an anchor and of knowing what this concept is and always be on the lookout for it since. It's an, it's an awesome analogy for this kind of ongoing redemption. It's about a jazz music, musician named Wynton Marsalis. And Matt had a neat deal because Wynton Marsalis, they went to the same high school actually. So he was a year older than him in the same high school. So anyway, Wynton Marsalis is like a world-renowned master jazz musician. He plays the trumpet. And so the story he read, I can't find the article that I made Matt give me after he said it. I can't find it exactly, but I remember the story. So Winton is incredible, and he's doing a solo uh, on the trumpet. He's doing a piece. I can't remember the piece was. All I remember is few people can do it. It's a long, long, jazzy, if you know jazz, it's a long piece full of emotion and, and movement and highs and lows and takes some... Uh, perseverance let alone skill to play this especially in a solo in a way that would hold an audience and so this reporter was allowed to this very small venue that people paid money to hear went and do this piece and so he's writing about it and of course he just eloquently writes the mood in the room as Went and starts playing this piece. And he's about, I'm just making this up, 15 minutes into the 20-minute song. And he's gone up and down. It's just beautiful. He says the group of 30 or 50 people, whoever, they're on the edge of their seat. Some are crying. I mean, it is awesome. And then he gets to this one waning place where he holds out a really low, long note that, that kind of goes down into silence. And he's towards the end of that when someone's cell phone goes off. With this cheesy chime. I mean, all this, this reporter saying, all the eyes turn. That guy who is in a panic 
right? You, maybe you've been there. And trying to get it off, he gets it off. He is flush red. Everyone's in there. The music, he is stopped. And everyone is groaning. And I remember, I don't remember everything and how the, the reporter said it, but I remember he, he had at the end, he said, he said something to the effect of magic killed. You know, he just built up what was going on. Everybody's angry. That guy's ashamed. He went and kind of had paused because it was stopping anyway. And he just magic lost. Something like that. And then he says that this musician... With his trumpet, he starts playing that little cell phone chime. Everybody turns their attention back to the master. He does it again with the trumpet. I can't make a trumpet. Everybody laughs and kind of, you know, and, and Marseille, without Marcel, he's not, he's not changing his mood. He's got his eyes closed and he does it again. And everybody's, everybody's back. And then he continues with the piece. Only he integrates that little cell phone chime into it. As, he, as only a master could. And he plays the last five minutes of this song. And everyone's back. Only now they're not moved. They're in at what just happened. The applause at the end, we could not replicate with this many people. Only a master does that. Only a master can do that, can take the worst interruption to the story and take it and weave it into the story and create something more exceptional, more amazing, more glorious. That is your God with you and with your mistakes and with your sins. He doesn't just forgive them. He doesn't just see you as holy so that you get that redemption of heaven. He takes it and he's bought everything. There's a verse. It's at the end of Ephesians, this little passage. It's verse 10 that says this. This is the ultimate goal of redemption, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. He wants everything. He's not shocked or surprised or put out or foiled by any mistake you ever make, any oversight or by anything that ever happens to you. He's purchased it all. That's redemption and that's your God. Here's the ultimate proof that I know redemption that God is a redeeming God. It's found in the central story of Christianity itself, the ultimate proof that he's a redeeming God. What's the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of humanity? What's the worst thing mankind has ever done if we just lumped us all together? I believe it's the murder of God. It's the crucifixion of Jesus. God loved us so much that he came down here to show us what it's supposed to look like to exhibit his love to the people around him and we killed him. He came down in love, and we killed him. It's the worst thing. I don't care what you've done. This is the worst thing we've done, is the murder of God. And yet, the murder of God, our murder of God, is at the centerpiece of what God uses 
to forgive our murder of God. Can you be with this? <laughs> God knows us so much that he sent his son and he counted on our sin to accomplish the plan that would then forgive us of our sin. That's your God. You do not need to be afraid. You do not need to be afraid. You can move from the house of fear to the house of love. And you can reside there forever. This year and every year, you can reside there forever because that is what God is here to do. He redeems all things. Let me ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead and move around the room. These guys just do this just to let you know they're here, that if you need a touch today, if you need a a prayer, if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus and what it looks like to take your next step in believing in this Jesus, in accepting this great invitation and following him, that's what they do this for. They want to be here for you. So let me just ask, are you tired? Are you tired of a gospel that doesn't release you? Are you, are you weary? Are you weary of a religious message that weighs you down even more than before you had it? Are you sick of that? Because none of that is Christianity. None of that is church. None of that is Jesus. None of that is in your Bible. He says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's stand, and if you need to, please come.